0: Block Talk Radio.
1: At the National Archives and Beyond Block Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to Research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and you wish to participate in the chat, you can sign in through your Facebook account or Blog Talk Radio. I will also open the lines in the second half of the show so that you can ask questions or make a comment. And then following the show, you can continue this discussion on AfroGenius.com and research at the National Archives and Beyond Facebook pages. In fact, please like both pages. Well, I am happy to kick off Black History Month with a wonderful story about Carol Hector Harris' journey to connect with her Canadian roots. Many Americans of African descent have thought that connecting with their African kin was next to impossible, yet Carol Hector Harris has done just that. Not only did she visit Ghana, but she also met relatives. She is the fifth great granddaughter of Africa born Kwok Matrick, who served in the Revolutionary War with George Washington in New York. She found Matrick's family, her family, and Big Ada, Ganda, Ghana. She also met members of her ethnic group, the Ga Adambi, the African lineage she discovered through DNA testing, which includes. Sengmorki Tete, who is with Carol in the photo that you're probably looking at right now. Carol Hector Harris earned a Bachelor of Arts degree in Journalism and a Master's of Arts in Political Science from the Ohio State University. Currently, she is working toward a PhD at Ohio University's Scripp College of Communication an 11th generation Bostonian. She lives in Columbus, Ohio with her husband, two sons, and eight grandchildren. Ms. Hector Harris serves as the librarian for a Columbus chapter of the Daughters of the American Revolution. So let me give a warm welcome to Carol Hector Harris to research at the National Archives and
2: beyond. Welcome, Carol. Thank you, Bernice. Thank you so much.
1: Well, Carol, I'm so happy to have you on the program because I read your journal as you were going through uh, what was going on in Ghana. And so Mm -hmm. I'm just looking forward to hearing you share this story with us. But wait, before we get to Ghana... Just tell us why and when did you begin to get involved in your genealogy and searching your family roots?
2: Well, my father started sending me um, just stuff from the family back in the, it was around the mid 70s. And um, he knew that I had an interest in the family because, uh, you know, one day I was talking to my parents in their bedroom and I was sitting on my father's side of the bed, and I happened to glance down, and I saw this really thick book, and I moved some magazines from the top of it, and I noticed it was the Holy Bible, but it was the thickest Holy Bible I had ever seen. It wasn't like the Bibles that we had at church at all, so I picked it up. And in the first um, couple of pages, I noticed handwriting with names, uh, birth dates, time of day, that people were born. So I asked my father, who were these people and whose Bible this was? And he said, well, Ma gave it to me, his mother, my grandmother. And um, she was the oldest among her siblings. And she had written down the dates and times of birth of all of the siblings and even cousins. And, you know, I was the youngest. I was the oops in the family. I was the youngest. And, mm-hmm. you know, as I was, you know, at a very early age, the elders in the family started passing away, and I never really got to know these people. But yet people in the family were always referring to them, but I didn't know them. So I was always asking questions. And I guess that's how my interest began, because I was wondering who were these people that everyone else knew, but I didn't. And like I said, because my father knew that I had this curiosity, this interest in the family, after I got married and moved to Columbus, Ohio, um, you know, he just started coming across stuff in Boston and just started sending it to me. So I started on the tree and um, I just started writing down who I knew and then there was stuff I didn't know. So I would send away for... Uh, birth certificates, and, you know, it was all Massachusetts, so I was sending away um, to the vital statistics office um, to get birth certificates, death certificates, you know, that kind of stuff, and, you know, I was working, and I was going to school, and I had young kids at the time, so I couldn't dedicate a lot of time to it, but as I went along, you know, I was collecting stuff, and I was asking my mother and father, you know, about Um, people in the family that, you know, like I said, that I didn't know, and that helped me fill in other parts of the tree. But um, it was all in a design, Bernice, to find my way back to Africa. I knew we were an African people, and I knew um, that my grandmother said that there were Native Americans in the family, and I knew who they were, but I didn't know who the Africans were. And I had the nerve to think that, every t- every generation that i uncovered i was going to find somebody born in africa but i mean i got back oh my goodness five generations and none of them were born in africa they were either born somewhere in massachusetts or um virginia or georgia but not africa but not so that- africa but not Africa. And I uh-huh. thought, wow, how much is it going to take for me to get back that far? And I realized how lucky I was that I was able to go back in generations as far back as I did. Um luckily, you know, um most of the family lived in Massachusetts, and so the records were there, so I could find them. But um there was, you know, there were other parts of the family, other branches where it was you know tough continuing but um lucky for me i just kept going and filling in that tree and kept going and filling in that tree until wow fast forward to 2010 i'm in boston at um in natick at my sister belfry's house and we had these folders bernice i tell you there were folders that covered her dining room table and in a box and they were all records of different family members that. We had researched, and we got to this one line, and we Mm -hmm. could not figure out who the parents were, the parents of Chloe Jacobs, and we were just banging our heads against the wall trying to figure out where hadn't we looked, but we had looked everywhere. I was convinced we did. So I thought, that's it, Beverly. I said to her, that's it. I'm going to go Google Chloe Jacobs, and Beverly said, you're going to do what? And I said, I'm going to Google Chloe. I jumped up from her table and ran to her computer, and I started. I Googled Chloe Jacobs.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: up comes a document. You know how oftentimes you go to Google and it never gives you what you're looking for? Well, I thought yes. this was the case. There was a document that said African Americans in Stoughton in the 1790 census. And I thought, what the, what the heck is this? So in the 1790 census, there were the names of three men. None of those names did I recognize. So Uh I went down the document. Before I go any further, Beverly was standing over my shoulder looking, and The person who compiled this document, his name is David Allen Lambert. And when Beverly saw that name, she said, oh, I know that guy. And I said, you do? She said, yeah. He's a member of the New England Historical and Genealogical Society, just like me. But I didn't know he was putting together this document. Still, at this point, I hadn't seen Chloe Jacobs. So I scrolled, Bernice, down to the 1800 census. Don't see any names I recognize. Um, either 1810 or 1820 was missing I forget which one but I got to oh goodness it must have been about the 1840 census and I found Chloe Jacobs but I also found her with people last named Campbell and I knew the Campbells because they were my grandmother's cousins but I didn't really know the names. I just knew the last names. So I thought, wait a minute. So I saw that group, and then I went back the previous, t- the, the the 10 years that I saw before that, and I started matching up relations until I got all the way back to 1790, and I found Quark Martrick. Wow. I, okay. I was just totally stunned that that odd name and i even said to beverly when i saw it i said quark who would name that kid quark what kind of name is that i had never heard that name before so kind of find out after all of that quark matrick was the eldest person in the family and with a name like quark i figured oh he probably came from ghana his name was probably quarku because i know the name quarku is an akan name for boys so I thought, hey, I Googled Chloe, and I found this. I'm going to Google Quark Martrick. Lo and behold, what comes up? This book that was compiled by the daughters of the American Revolution called Forgotten Patriots. And so sure enough, Quark Martrick was in there. I thought, whoa, she was in the Revolutionary War. So then what do we do next? go to the National Archives to get his uh, Revolutionary War records. And I tell you, Bernice, when they came back, it was enough to knock me to the floor. It said that he had been born in Africa. So finally, this is from, from the mid-1970s to 2010, it took me that long to find an African-born ancestor in my family. But it also gave his birth date, and so when I saw that, I went onto the computer to look up what day of the week that date was, and it was a Wednesday. And I knew Kwaku was an Akan name for boys born on a Wednesday, so I thought, "Oh my gosh, this is really his name." So, fast forward some more, I applied to the PhD program at um, Ohio University. And um, one day, I tell you, Bernice, I was, I was just really exhausted, and I had come down the elevator after teaching, and I was walking through the basement, the ground floor of the, the Scripps building, and I happened to notice a poster inside a glass case, and it said, um, Ghana Society, uh, Media Society and Governance. And I thought, oh, my God, there are going to be people here coming from Ghana. So I got in the car, I called Beverly, and I said, you're not going to believe it, but there are some people that are going to be coming here from Ghana, and I'm going to ask them, who do I need to contact to try to research our family? So I went to the meeting. Come to find out it wasn't a meeting with folks from Ghana at all. It was a study abroad meeting, and I was the only um, graduate student there. So at the end, I asked um, Professor Kaliango if there was any possibility that I could apply for the study abroad program. And he told me I could. So I get in the car again, called up Beverly, and I said, you're not going to believe it. I went to that meeting, but there was no one there from Ghana. She said, oh, no. And I said, but wait. I felt like Ron Popeil. I said, wait, there's more. (laughs) I said to her, it's a study abroad program, and I'm going to apply to go. So I applied. I got accepted. And miraculously, Bernice, three days after I got accepted into the study abroad program, we got an update from Family Tree DNA, an updated analysis on my brother's DNA. And it said that we were related to um, an ethnic group in Ghana by the name of the Ga Adengbe. And I had never heard of the God of before. I have heard of the Akan. Um, I heard of Ya Santuwa, you know, but I never heard of the God Dengbe. I thought, who are they? So what do I do? I Google that too. And sure enough, there was all kinds of information on the web about the God of So that was in September 2013. The trip was uh, right at the end of um, that term, and so I end up in Ghana that december and I tell you uh Bernice, when I got off the plane i couldn't i really I couldn't believe my feet were standing on the ground where my great 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 grandfather came from in fact in the on the flight. Um, I always sit by the window and um, luckily it was light out when the flight hit the coast of Africa. So I saw it and I thought, man, I can't believe I'm looking at Africa. I, I am actually going to be here. So when I, so when I got to Ghana, I was, I was almost in a state of shock and wonderment because I couldn't believe after all this time, I actually made it. So the next day, Ohio University is affiliated with the African um, African University College of Communications. And so that's where we went the first day after we arrived. And um, we had lunch with the student leaders of, like, uh, they were like the student government. We had lunch with them. So I'm sitting at a table with three women, and one of the women says, so, Carol, um, what are you going to be doing while you're here? Are you studying anything in particular? And I said, well, you know, I am. I I found out a few months ago um that I'm related to an ethnic group in Ghana and I'm also looking for my great 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 grandfather's family. The ethnic group is the God Dang Well, don't you know one of the women sitting there, one of the three, raised her hand and said to me, I am God Dang Well, I tell you, the table and the chairs couldn't get out the way fast enough because we jumped up and hugged and held on to each other like we were connected with superglue. It was like we were holding each other and like trembling. And we were holding on so tight, like we would never let go. Well, the women who were sitting at the table started clapping and screaming, and then the other people in the room wanted to know what the heck was going on. And they said, Carol found um, a member of the god bay that she's related to. And Sam Walkie and I were still hugging. And the picture that, that you posted online is us uh, still holding on, but it's after everybody said, Turn around, turn around, stop hugging. We want to take your picture. So <laughs> we, we stopped, we disconnected half of the embrace. And um, we stood there and took the picture that you see that that um, that I sent to you. And uh, Wow. Well, Carol, I want to
1: stop you because this is such <laughs> a fascinating story. And you have told us this story in, in less than, what, 15 minutes. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so we're going to go back. And we're going to come, come back on. up again. Okay, so okay. let's go back. Because I have actually read the revolutionary uh, pension record for Mm Kwak Matrick. And every, I mean, I started reading this record, and I'm looking at the document right now, and he states that he was born in Africa. He's 76 years old in 1833. Mm Mm-hmm. And can you imagine how he told this story or shared this story of where he came from and how he was in the Revolutionary War, and you, as his fifth, you are the fifth great-great-granddaughter? Yeah. But, but you're story. reading these papers. What I mean, what did it feel like to actually put your eyes on a piece of paper and see that not only was he a Revolutionary War patriot, but he was also from Africa.
2: Well, I tell you, um, I knew with the name that I saw on that census document that he must have he come from Africa. I knew that. But I was just shocked that somehow he was able to keep that name. And I never heard that last name, Matrick. But also, the fact that he served in the Revolutionary War was a story that was not passed down through the family. And I have mm-hmm. no idea why. I don't know where that break in communications came, because I am sure, had my grandmother known, my grandmother would have told it. Because my grandmother used to tell, especially when she got older, she told everything. There was nothing she withheld, in fact, because I was the youngest, I used to, I was sent to my grandmother and grandfather's house um in Mansfield, just south of Boston, during the summer. And, you know, my grandmother used to sit under the, the, the tree in her yard and tell me all kinds of stories, stuff that none of my other siblings ever heard. She told me all kinds of stuff about family members, but never once mentioned Cork. Had she known as mad as she was about what happened to Marion Anderson, I know she would have joined the D.A.R. I know she yes. would. But somehow, mm-hmm. Bernice, and I don't know why, that story was never passed down. But I was in complete shock to find, not only find this man, but the fact that he was in the Revolutionary War. I never knew that we were in the Revolutionary War, really. In all, mm-hmm. of the, in all of my education, I had never seen a photo of an African soldier in the Revolutionary War. I knew that George Washington took his slave with him to the war, but I never, ever saw an African soldier. So I was shocked by the idea. And then, as you say, once I got my hands on the document and saw it, I, my mind just, it was spinning. I was trying to figure out what was his life like? What was it like for Africans to be fighting for the independence of this country? I mean, slavery was going on. But yet, there were people who stepped up to fight for the independence of this nation, and they were not free themselves. I tell you, I I still can't imagine it. I still have a well, hard time imagining all of it. Right.
1: But one of the things about you and your research is that not only do you have Quark as a revolutionary Uh, war veterans, but you found this 12 people in your family tree, all Revolutionary War veterans. So what came first? Was it finding Quark and then everybody else fell into place, or did you... Find maybe yeah. some others. Tell, uh, help us understand this, because we are going back to Africa, but let's talk about what's going on with you Make connecting the dots with all of these 12
2: Revolutionary War veterans. Well, you know, once we found Quark and we found his wife, Chloe Dunbar, then we were able to ne- to connect Chloe to the other man on the 1790 census, which was who was Quark's, who ended up being Quark's father-in-law. So by researching Quark, his father-in-law, Chloe, all of these other people were were revealed to us, of course, one at a time. And so as as one person is revealed. Go and research that person and kind of find out they were, they were in the Revolutionary War. And by this time, I, I had purchased the book that the DAR published, the Forgotten Patriots book that, that lists all of the African um, soldiers as well as the Native American, um, the first American uh, soldiers. And so as we found people, we looked them up, in the index, and sure enough, they were there. So one at a time, we're finding these people, and it reminded me of how my grandmother used to say, birds of a feather flock together, uh-huh. and it, it is so true, because all of these people, and I'm sure the community was small, but all of these people who... I guess shared the same ideas and the same views. They all hung around together. And eventually, their children started marrying each other. And why not? Yes. They mm-hmm. all had the same they had the same ideas about what was going on. They shared that. And I mean, they didn't know it when they first knew each other that they would end up being related, but they were. And so it it was like that, little by little. One by one, we started uncovering all of these other Africans who served in the Revolutionary War. It, it just took my breath away, and, and and still takes my breath away. It takes my mind away. Every time in the family history search, every time I uncovered someone, I would have to sit back and think about what in the heck was their life like? then that would lead me to read the contemporary history. But it's not us writing it. So it's somebody else writing about what was going on during that time, but it's still not the experience of Africans. You know what I'm saying? So you get an idea, a general idea of history kind of, sort of, but through the eyes of someone else's experience. So you still don't know. What their lives were like, so it just makes you sit back and wonder and think and ponder and wonder and think some more and continue to uncover. Because with every individual, every nugget of information that you uncover, Bernice, I tell you, it's a cause for celebration. I I remember when um, oh God, this was back in the late nineties. I was at the Schomburg Center in New York and the Schaumburg Library. And uh, I was looking up some information on my grandmother's grandfather, Charles Henry Tyler, who was in the same line. And uh, I knew he was served in the Civil War, because in the Hyde Park section of Boston, there's a street, uh, Tyler Street, named after him, because he was the first person who lived on that street. that story... Um, survived in the family my grandmother told it all the time I knew exactly where he was buried I've taken my grandchildren um, to his grave um, in the Mattapan section of Boston and I took them I took them over to Hyde Park and so that they could see the street where my grandmother's grandfather had a farm and so that they would get appreciation for the history I took them to uh, the Reedville section of Hyde Park where Charles Henry Tyler uh, mustered into the Civil War, just to give these kids an orientation to um, people in our family and what they did and something certainly to be, um, be proud of. But with every discovery, Bernice, it was cause for celebration. And at the Schomburg, when I found a document about Charles Henry Tyler being in the Civil War, Um, It was a document I had never seen before. I jumped up and shouted. I just lost myself. And, you know, it was quiet in there because it was a library. And the two librarians ran over, wanted to know why I jumped out of my chair and shouted. And when I told them that it was a record of my grandmother's grandfather from being in the Civil War, they were just all excited and happy. And um, they told everyone else. In, the, in that general vicinity, what it was I found, and the people applauded. But I, I tell you, it is a serious cause for celebration. Every time I, I have found a nugget or Beverly has found a nugget of information, and it is not lost on us that we, were ve- we are very fortunate that we're able to trace our family in the way that we have.
1: That's not and the And you are—you are so fortunate. And sorry to cut you off,
2: No, that's okay. But we
1: have—we have a question coming out uh, on the phone. But I okay. want to take a break, uh, just a quick break, and then <laughs> okay. caller. As soon as we come back, we're going to take your question. And I just want to say that there's comments coming out of the chat room, and one of the comments is, "We need our storytellers." You know, oh, our yes. children, they don't see, they need the images, they need the stories, they need the stories and the storybooks and the movies. And, yes. uh, you know, sometimes they see the real graphic, horrific Hollywood slave movies, but they also need to see the movies about what you're talking about. Yes. And so we're certainly going to come back and continue this discussion, but a quick break, okay? Okay. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after this broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. You have been listening to Carol Hector Harris tell us about her fascinating journey to connect with her Canadian roots. And Carol, we do have a question uh, coming out. Uh, it's on the phone. We have a question on the phone line, and it's area code two hundred two. Do you have a question or a comment?
0: Yes, I do. Uh, my name is Kim. Hey, Carol. How are you? Hi, Kim. Hi. Um, I have to say, I am so so happy to hear about this. I know, Carol, when you began this, but one of the things I've wondered, and I've wondered over and over again, is why is it so difficult for Black Americans? I use the term Black Amer- Americans. Um, to research their roots, particularly when they know that they were, you know, ancestors were, came here as slaves, they know what plantation they're on or whatever, and it always seems to come to a point where, you know, it stops, like you can't find something or some records or something. Why is that so difficult, would you say, Carol? Because I know you've gone through a lot over the years researching. But what would well, you say, you know, for
2: that? Well, i tell you, Kim, one thing that you just said, has to has to be clarified, or or corrected, and that is mm-hmm. all of us did not come as slaves. Okay, you know it was it's never shown in any record anywhere that Quark Martrick was was not a free man, mm-hmm. and in information that I've gathered since, I've come to find out that numbers of people came here free. So Mm -hmm. we did not all come as slaves. And yes, sometimes it is true to find stuff, but you got to get creative. Mm -hmm. You have to just, you know, kind of like broaden your imagination to try Mm -hmm. to figure out where would stuff be. And sure enough, for some folks, it would be really hard trying to, to go back real far because, Of slavery and because people were purchased and moved around and this and that and the other. But, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the greatest resources in the family right now are our elders. And like I said before, as my grandmother got older, she started talking about all kind of stuff. I mean, it was like she was revealing what could have been family secrets. And, you know, (laughs) old people just say stuff just like real little kids. Mm -hmm. Old people say stuff. So it's time for us to start talking to the elders in the family and probe them for what it is they know so that they can pass on stuff to you that you can further research. Some Mm -hmm. of it may not be correct, but, you know, just like where there's smoke, there's some fire somewhere, Mm -hmm. in every little nugget of information don't discount it all when you can't verify it, because there's some truth in there somewhere. You know, it's your job to figure out where the truth is. It's like you're on a hunt, Kim. You're you're a detective, and so you have to just broaden your imagination and and be passionate about it, because that passion will take you forward. It'll keep you. Focused. It'll keep your it'll maintain your eye on that prize. That's why I'm telling you, every nugget of information you find is a cause for celebration. It mm-hmm. really is, because you've got to really dig. But it's for sure that the internet has made it a lot easier to find folks. DNA um research has made it a lot easier to find relatives. I mean It's because of DNA that I know Bernice. Bernice and I are related and found that out on 23andMe. Mm -hmm. And Bernice, thank God she's brilliant, she went on to our family's tree on Ancestry.com, put in the surnames in her family in the search bar because we couldn't figure out how we were related. So she put those names in the search bar and, bing, it showed where it is that name is common to her family and mine too. So now we know how we are related and we need to talk more to each other. We need to go visit those places where we know family folk came from Mm -hmm. and talk to all people. Find your family reunions because stories get passed on to people at family reunions too. But I'd say, you know, start with yourself Work backwards, but but talk to the most senior people in your family and record it, and then go start digging. And don't get disappointed when things aren't revealed to you right away because, you know, like I said, I started this thing way before there was an Internet. And now because of it, because I've used it, I know a heck of a lot more, far faster than I ever did in the early years. You know, so every time you find something, Kim, then you get energized to keep digging and keep looking and keep celebrating. It's a wonderful thing to know who you are. Well,
0: thank you, Carol, for your inspiration. I hope you make this into <laughs> a book because our stories do need to be told. So I thank you very much.
2: Thank you, Kim.
1: Okay, and uh, we have some comments coming out of the chat room. And and sometimes we find that some elders may not want to share because of some of the trauma uh, Mm -hmm. that they may have experienced, and and some of the past may have been stolen. They've been sold away. They don't want to share that story. That's true. But nevertheless, as you're saying, that we should at least go visit the home place and find the the, the elder in the community with hopes that they will be able to share uh, information with us. Well, we have another qu- uh, comment coming from the, um, the phone line. Area code 818, you're live. You have a question or a comment.
3: Yes, I do. This is a friend of Carol Hector Harris's from, <laughs> Los, An- from Los Angeles, California. My name's Ken Higginbotham. And uh, my family, Carol, has been trying to do this for quite a few years because uh, you and I found out working together that we have some uh, family ties, so to speak, up in Worcester and and the Boston area. But my question is, the Higginbotham family started and originated, uh, and, and my cousins were working on this, in Lynchburg, Virginia, and two of them have gone out there uh to connect with the Higginbotham family there and they seem to have been running into some challenges with that and what would your what is your best advice uh, I heard you speaking to another colleague of ours Kim and uh trying to deal with these obstacles, you have Mm -hmm. to keep pursuing. Um, What about when you run into the obstacles of people that may either have some mental challenges, uh, emotional challenges, Mm -hmm. that their story may not be right on the mark? Mm
2: -hmm. What,
3: What advice would you have to keep moving forward? And I understand the bit about talking with the elders.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh I've learned so much from that. But again, there could be challenges.
2: Yep, you're you totally right. You know, as I said, there were things that my grandmother told me and my siblings and you know, some of some of the, the information wasn't accurate, but some of it was close. So even when you don't find the exact piece of information, there's a hint in there. That's why I say you have to keep your you have to keep your mind wide open. And like Bernice said, you know there are folks in the family who, because of trauma, they really don't want to talk about things that happened, and you can understand that. But you know, often there are. Um, there are records that may exist uh, where it is that, you know, your family originated, or at least where you think they originated. And so you try to uncover that. You know, if you go to some of these um, small-town historical libraries, you know, librarians are a wealth of information. Sometimes, you know, I have found that some people are just there waiting like dying waiting for somebody to come along and ask them stuff and boy do they know where stuff is so you know i guess the 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 biggest thing is not to get disappointed and to just keep your mind wide open to to hunt down every nugget of information and you know yourself as a journalist that's what we do we, we're it, it, detectives, we hunt down information.
3: You know, and I think it's asking the right questions and, and being tenacious. And, and I know of your ambitions uh, of, of wanting to pursue this for many years, and I really, really applaud you for doing that, Carol. Thank you. Uh, thank because, you. again, particularly with black families, We, I I think, in many areas, we've lost that. Um, You know, we get sort of caught up in a quagmire with that, and as far as people uh, being shifted in other directions, Mm -hmm. may have come out of of uh, different environments, which could could be an impediment and impair the whole process of trying to find out from whence we come
2: yeah but don't get discouraged that you you do bump up against roadblocks you do but you know just kind of like you know float like a butterfly and sting like a bee like Muhammad Ali you know sometimes you gotta like step to the side and avoid that roadblock or you know do what you can to bypass that and find another path You know, and I'm not saying that you'll always find everything because given our history, man, it is tough. And there's some stuff that we'll never know. You know, like I started, like I said in the beginning, spread all over Beverly's dining room table were folders like you would not believe. And a big box full of stuff, too. And so those folders represent various lines in the family tree. And so we're always pursuing this one and that one and the other one. It's just, as luck would have it, frustration that day can hit a fever pitch. And I thought, the heck with it. I can't think of where else we can look for Chloe's uh, family. I'm going to Google her. And I did. And thank God I did. Because I found Chloe, and then eventually I found Quark. And I found my family in Ghana. His family. Right. Well, take us
1: back to Ghana, because this is—I mean, it's—it's it's just so exciting to hear you share. Just share the advice I mean, don't get discouraged, which is exactly right on target. Don't get discouraged. Keep a open mind, and as you said, librarians are a wealth of information, which oh, indeed yeah. is, is oh it's' is so 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 true so now, take us back to Ghana because when you when, when I took you back to to help us understand how you found your ancestors and how you connected with them to the Revolutionary War and co to Africa, You're, you were now meeting someone from the, the Klan. So tell mm-hmm. us more about your visit now,
2: and tell us about the group. Well, um, as soon, well, when Sam Walkie and I were able to settle down and gather our thoughts, she immediately said to me, well, I'm going to um, take you to my family home. And so um I talked to my professor and of course he said it was okay for me to do that to go with her. And so uh 2 days after we met, um uh, we took a cab, two buses and another taxi to um her home village. And I've got to tell you the the craziest that I don't know, it's not even crazy. It's it's almost I don't know what it is. It was a uh Something that happened that has never happened to me really before. I get out the cab when we got to her family's compound, and I get one leg out of the cab, Bernice, and I look up and I see a woman that reminds me of my grandmother, my father's mother. And I couldn't get out the cab, I couldn't get my other leg out the cab. I was like frozen right there. I couldn't move. Now, she didn't look exactly like her, but there was something about her that was like my grandmother. And I just, I couldn't move. I couldn't believe it. So, you know, now I'm embarrassed because I'm staring at somebody and she sees me staring at her and I don't want her to think <laughs> I'm an idiot. So I get out the cab and I said to Sang Morky, I said, um... I don't know who that lady is but I know she knows I was staring at her and I was looking at her because she reminds me of my grandmother and it's just so shocking. And she said, "Oh, that's my mother's sister, that's my aunt." So now I don't speak the language, but Sangwoki was introducing me to everybody in the family and she had told them that I was coming and, you know, they had prepared a meal, but we were all sitting outside of the, the the compound at first. And when this lady, her aunt, um <laughs> when this lady went something somebody must have told a joke or something funny. And when this lady laughed, she threw her head back like my grandmother. I tell you I could I just couldn't believe I just couldn't believe it. And she got up to walk toward the inside. There was a pathway that takes you to the inside so that you get to the inner compound area. And when she walked she walked like my grandmother with her arthritic knees. I just, I, I was, I'm still stunned by this woman, that she reminded me of my, so much like my grandmother. When she threw her head back and laughed like my grandmother, I was outdone. But when she got up and walked like her too, I just, I was, I was just speechless. So I spent the day with Sang family. They, they were wonderful. And um, after I ate, I'm sitting on the sofa, and um, her uncle sat down, and he said, also, I hear you go to Ohio University. And um, I was glad he spoke English. And um, I said, yeah. He said, well, do you know where Columbus is? I said, yeah, I live in Columbus. And he said, I'll be right back. So he comes back with a little piece of paper that was torn off of an the corner of an envelope. So I looked at it, and he says, uh, he handed it to me, and he says, this is where my brother lives. Well, I'm looking at a Columbus address, and that address is not seven minutes from my house. Now, to think, I went 4,000 miles to find somebody who was, like, less than 10, ten minutes away from my house, uh, an ethnic group relative, I, I I, just really, I couldn't believe it. I could not. I was just stunned in amazement. So, of course, when I got back to Columbus, I, you know, I called him, but that's another story, too. But then, um, that after I, I left her home uh, village, um, I... She and her, um, her, uh, uh, the man she's engaged to, they, they took me back to Accra, the capital city, and met up with the study abroad group um, for dinner. And I know I had dinner that night, but, you know, all of what happened during that day and the time that I spent with these people that I know that I'm related to, I just, I honest to goodness, I didn't know what to make of it, but I I could tell we were family-related somehow because gestures were the same. We didn't speak the same language, but we did understand each other. We were able to com- communicate through body language. Um, there, there was all of that that we had in common. It was so – I don't know how to really describe it if you haven't seen it in action, but we were communicating – Without really having to share the same language, it was something glorious. It was it was fantastic. Anyway, I get back to Accra, and um, the next day we go back over to African University College of Communication. Well, by this time, one of the professors there had was working on setting up an interview for me with a historian at the University of Ghana. Um, this man. Um, Dr. Elam Davlo, he is an international authority on the slave trade and religion. So, thank goodness Dr. Jokoto was setting me up, um, setting up an interview for me with him so I could learn more about the god Dengbe and slavery and all of this. So, I'm sitting down um, while the other students are learning African drumming and African dance. I'm sitting down putting together my questions and doing some research and stuff off of things I got on the Internet to, to do this interview. And this gentleman who led the drumming group, he comes up to me and he says, oh, Carol, it's so nice to see you because we met the, the previous two days. And so I said, well, I'm glad to see you, too. And he said, what are you doing? And I told him what I was preparing for. And I reached down in my pocketbook. I said, you know, um, I found someone with my great, 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 great grandfather's last name. I found him on the Internet. But I couldn't connect with him because the Ghana, the server in Ghana would not connect to the one in the United States. So I printed this off, and I'm looking for him. So this man who was sitting beside me, who had never said a word he saw the paper, and he said, I know that family. They live in Bigada. I'm from Bigada. Would you like to go there and meet them? Oh, I, I was just, I was floored. This is just somebody sitting who happened to be sitting beside me, listening to a conversation I was having with this other guy. And so, of course, I said to him, yes, I want to I wanna go. So he said, well, I have to call my uncle. So he calls his uncle, and his uncle's at work. So he says, I'll call you tonight after I speak to the uncle. Well, it's a custom in Ghana where in order to do anything, you have to go ask the elders for permission. And so um, this young man communicated to me that, I needed to talk to his uncle, explain to him all of what I was trying to research, and then we would meet with the elders, and he would explain to the elders what was going on, I would talk, and so I did. I went and met with them, the young man who was sitting beside me, he took me to them, he translated, and translated the whole story that I had to tell them about Quark Matric, and then they, they discussed it among, among themselves. The, the young guy... Um, was telling me, you know, don't worry, everything's going fine. They're discussing everything. And uh, finally they said to me, they his, uh, they said, well, you know, this young guy, his uncle, who's the chief of this this community group, he could take me to the family in Big Adar. So then I had to arrange transportation because now the area that I'm in where this chief is, is way away from Accra. And Big Adah is on the far eastern side of Ghana, right at the mouth of the Volta River. So anyway, I, I had to talk to my professor. He made an arrangement for transportation for me, the young guy to translate, um, the chief, one of the students who would be the videographer plus a driver. And so... Here we get in the car, leave a car, and drive for a few hours to Big Adar. And the whole time that we're on the road, I tell you, Bernice, I'm sitting there just trying to imagine, what am I going to see? Mm-hmm. What? What is this? What? Am, what? What is this experience? Now, mind you, before this day, I had gone to visit the forts in Elmina and Cape Coast, where... People were herded. They were brought before they were boarded onto a ship and taken off to where they never knew, of course, where they were going. So I had I had, had that experience. And that is, there are no words for it, really. Honest to God, there are no words for it. You have to go and be in it yourself. You can see it, but you got to go there and be in it because it's something it's an experience that uh you can't even you can't even bring words to it. But anyway, back to going to Ada. In fact, on the road to Ada, we passed by a house that Isaac Hayes owned. Why he ended up in Ga Dengbe territory in Ghana and built a house, I have no idea. But it was pointed out to me um on the road. But anyway, we get to Big Ada. And uh, we parked the car at uh, like the end of this alley, and we couldn't drive up any further because it was so narrow and kind of rocky. So we get out the car, and we're walking toward the compound. And um, I'm telling you, my heart was beating like crazy. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what was going to happen. And um, we got to the gate. It was a huge metal gate. And when I say compound, there are high walls that surround these properties. And when we knocked on the gate and the gate swung open, there were all of these people in the middle of like a large courtyard. And all of these houses in the compound opened up onto this courtyard. And there, Quark Martrick's family sat. My family sat. And it was almost like... We were all in shock, didn't know what <laughs> didn't know what to do. We don't speak the same language for sure, but we're looking at each other like awestruck, and then I guess when that feeling of i don't know aweness, how about that for a word aweness when that feeling wore off, we were smiling and they made a way for, they brought stools for me to sit down and all of that. And then I began to tell the story. And they were absolutely fantastic. They were wonderful. And I'm sitting there looking at them and I'm thinking, these people have been right here all along since Quark left in the the middle of the 1700s, they've been sitting right there. I, through this experience, Bernice, have got to tell you that this entire time I felt like I was being guided and glided. I was not, I was just present. There was something else that was going on that was making all of this happen. I felt like it was my ancestors. I felt like it was my family. I felt like they were all, their spirits had come together to make it possible for me to have this experience. Because honest to goodness, I didn't plan any of this. I just knew I was going and hoping that I would find something but and Carol, you know, just listening
1: to you, you know, I'm I'm listening to you, and I'm saying, wait a minute, this is get being guided by some something. Yeah, it was uh, something. Uh, it, all of these cards kind of fell into place for you. They from did. finding out about the study abroad program, meeting yeah. someone, and then you're now uh, sitting before. Uh, your family. And what did you learn about uh, the surname, about Maltrick's surname?
2: Well, I heard they told me that it was corrupted and that the, the surname is actually Marty. In fact, um, once we got our minds around the fact that we were related and they understood Quark Maltrick's story and how I was these generations down from him, They decided that I needed a name. I needed a new name. I needed a family name. Now, this was being interpreted to me because I didn't know what this discussion was. I just knew that all of a sudden there was a flurry of some serious kind of conversation going on. I didn't know what in the heck they were talking about until the young man translated. And he said, oh, um," he said, auntie. Because now, because I'm family, I am, he explained to me that I am like his mother's sister, so I am auntie to him. So he said, oh, auntie, they are going to um, give you a name. They're going to have a naming ceremony. And I thought, oh, my God. So they were debating back and forth about what this name was going to be. And finally, I was told that my name was going to be Akatu. And Akatu is a part of a warrior's name. I don't even know what the whole name is of this warrior, but it's a part of the warrior's name. And the reason why they agreed upon that name was because they said that I fought like a warrior and battled to come back because I told them that they lost a son but I, was, I brought him back to them in me. I told them that. I felt that that's what I was doing. And so to make that connection and the fact that they said I was like a warrior and I battled to come back to find them, they gave me the name Akatu. So my name is Akatu Marty. And they told me that anytime I come to Big Adah, And I tell anyone, my name is Akatumati, they know I belong to that compound. They know exactly who my people are. And so they poured libations. They poured libations over the fact that the gods brought me back. They poured, and that was a ceremony in and of itself. They poured libations over my new name. They poured libations in tribute to the ancestors for making it possible for me to find them. And I'm telling you, when they told me that that libation ceremony was for that, I thought, I know this for sure. Because I had been feeling like I was guided and glided by something, some kind of force was making everything happen. I was just present.
1: Yes, indeed. Wow. Well, Akatu, is that it? Akatu Marti? Akatu.
2: Akatu Marti. It's
1: M-A-R-T-E-Y. Okay. So you have taken us basically full circle full circle, and you have given just some wonderful advice. Now, I'm going to give anybody who would like to call in to ask a question, 646-200-0491, and press 1 to speak to the host. And chatters, do you have any questions or comments for Carol before we come to the close of the show? And Carol, while we're waiting on both sides, do you have anything else you want to share with us, any, any advice, any suggestions? Because you did something that many people are hoping that they will be able to do, to find that document with their ancestor on it from Africa and then to continue to make that journey
2: to Africa.
1: Any advice?
2: Well, I've got to tell you, Bernice, that book, that the daughters of the American Revolution have put together is a thick book. Yes, They're I have it. it is huge. Yes, yes. It is huge. And so, as I flipped through it when I first got it, I thought, My God, how many of us have family members sitting right here in this book, and we don't know because the dots haven't been connected. But Many of us in this country have ancestors who fought for the freedom of this country. Some of them, some of the people that that um, are in my family, they were themselves slaves. They thought that they would get their freedom after fighting in the war, similar to what happened in the Civil War. So, you know, I, I've thought about how, my God, we are constantly in a struggle to prove our worth to someone so that we can be recognized as full-fledged human beings with the rights that any human being in this world should have. Yes. As you know, it's, how, how many of us are connected to people in that book? And then right. with that connection, and
1: maybe we could find our way back to Africa, more of us. That's right. Well, there's a Facebook page, and, and Family Tree Girl uh, wants everyone to be aware of the fact that she has a Facebook page, dar.org- well, they say it, where you can find the book. But there is a group uh, that uh, Family Tree Girl has set up on Facebook so that those of you who are interested in in learning more about the Forgotten Patriots, you should join Mm -hmm. that Facebook group. I also have some callers. So caller, uh, area code 216. Do you have a question or a comment?
4: Um, I have more of a comment. Uh, Carol is McKenzie.
2: Oh, hi, McKenzie.
4: Hi, Carol. Um, I had the pleasure of actually traveling to Ghana as one of the students with Carol and watching um, everything that you guys are talking about happen. Um,
2: yeah So
4: and I was one of the yeah, students uh, in the group.
1: right and and so you 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 went and you said you were eyewitness
2: yes, <laughs> basically to
1: what was she sharing with us tonight? That's wonderful. How did it feel to
4: watch all of this unfold? Well, it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. Um, not as I'm sure she was obviously feeling it a little more, but it was just such a. It's just such a story. It's just something that you don't really think is going to happen to somebody, especially when you meet them just sitting in a classroom. And you get to watch her do all of those things that she did. It was great. It was right. Very okay, special well, to be a part of.
2: Well, you know, well, Mackenzie you so was like you really comment. can't put words to it.
4: No, not at all. You can't. Well, we you, have another
1: question. Right. Well, I mean, I'm just listening to you, and I'm excited because I saw you were journaling, everyone. So we were getting kind of, uh, we were far away, but we were getting the journal accounts of what was going on in Ghana. So I think I was living through your notes. Uh, area code 316, you have a question or a comment? Yes. Um, hi, Ms. Bennett. Thank you for taking my call. Um, yes. I just wanted to say that I loved your guest story um, and hearing how she went home to meet her um, family in Ghana and uh, getting her African name, that just was so inspiring to me. And in my genealogy journey, I've, you know, gone back and hit brick walls, but with DNA testing, I've been able to see, okay, what tribe I come from, but I still need to make those connections. Um, but one question I do have for your guest is what, and you've alluded to this before when you told your story, but can you just talk a little bit about more about how that felt to get that new name, so that name from your family, that name from your ethnic group? Um, what does that really mean to you, and what do you think that that um, could mean to African Americans to have that name from our people
4: um, from where we came from before um, we were in the United States? So thank you.
2: The name was the glue. I, I, I have to tell you that when the the gate to the compound Open and I walked through, and there they were. I felt strong and weak all at the same time. I felt strong in a triumphant way that I, honest to God, am looking at my family, the people that I was hoping to find since the mid-70s. It is now 2013. I am looking at them. I felt strong that I made it. And I felt weak because I felt so grateful I could have just fallen to my knees. I was I I was overcome to the point where I felt weak and could have fallen down. But I had to stand and be strong. And thank God they found a stool for me to sit down. Because I needed to sit down and really take it all in. And when they gave me the name, it was like I was reborn. I was a I'm a I it confirmed for me my family connection. It did. Now, I have also got to say that the god Dengbe is not the only ethnic group in Africa that I'm related to. Um, Through the DNA testing from Family Tree DNA, uh, we got information about who we're related to all over the place. But then I got a history lesson from Sang uncle when he told me the history of the Gadangbe and how they began in East Africa and that they just kept going west you know, through famine, conflict, or whatever, they would just pick up from where they were and move. Well, you know, every time a group of people pick up and move, someone stays, and they move to another place, and then something happens, and they got to move again. And as he was telling me the story of the migration from East Africa to West Africa, I'm thinking, no wonder I'm related to people there and there and there. I just couldn't get, I couldn't get over it. Because when I saw, when I got the DNA results and it was telling us we were related to all of these different ethnic groups, I'm thinking, how, how is that possible? Well, him just telling me that story of their migration explained it all in like five minutes. And I thought, wow, there's the answer I've been wondering about for years. Getting okay. that name, that was my confirming identity. Right. Well,
1: we have another caller. This is area code 614. Okay, 614, you're live. Okay, you have a question or a comment?
4: Yes, my
3: name is Jan Harris. Um, (sighs) I was calling in to find out um, if Carol, which is my mom, by the way, can elaborate on how the next generation can carry on the work that she has done as well as my aunt um, in his genealogy search.
2: Well, I Great tell question. you. Great I, question. I tell you, Jan, you know, when that gate swung open and I saw our family, and I'm almost ready to cry I felt like I wished to God that you all, your dad, ma and daddy, Grand, grandpa, aunt Bert, um, aunt Uncle Jake, aunt Dot, everybody I ever knew in the family, I wished to God they could have been standing there to see what I saw. And one of these days, Jan, you got to go and see our family for yourself. I'm going back. I'm not done. I have no idea yet. What were the circumstances that caused Quark Martrick to leave Ghana and come to Massachusetts? I don't have that answer. But I, got, I was getting close because I was talking to people who know the history and they were telling me other resources to look into um, in Ghana. But I was only there for about three weeks and there was only so much that I could accomplish during that time and God knows I accomplished far more than I ever thought I would ever do in life but once you see them for yourself Jan you'll never want to leave them and you'll only want to know how is it this how is it that why this why that we have Far more in common with these folks than than uh, we are different. Even as I traveled through Ghana, I saw people who look like people that we know. I saw people who walk like people that we know. I I mentioned how that one lady she laughed like Granny and walked like Granny. If we go and see for ourselves. That right there is affirming of who we are. We have far more that connects us, that binds us, than we have as far as a difference. We don't have a difference, really. I saw people who dance like somebody who doesn't look like them at all. I saw people who look like somebody but walk like somebody else. It was just, I don't know. I don't know how to put it into words. But because I've gotten us to Ghana, all you have to do, Jan, is now pick up the Ghana ball and continue to run with it and see where it takes you.
1: Okay, and so that's your, that's your challenge. Well, we have another caller from 614. And uh, if you have your computer on, turn it low, and I'm going to bring you on, area code 614. You're, you're live.
3: This is Sharif.
2: Oh, hi, Sharif. Hi.
3: Mom, love you. I just wanted to tune in. Um, this is a great conversation for one. And uh, I just wanted to ask what are our steps then to move forward and maybe add it on to the compound there? Um, well,
2: that's funny that you even mentioned that, Sharif, because in the middle of the compound, um, as they have money, they've been stacking cement block. And they told me that their plan for those blocks is to erect a house, a building with bedrooms, so that those of us who come back home from the diaspora have a place to stay, have a family place to stay. We don't have to stay in a hotel. We can stay with our family. So, I mean, that could be part of uh, some mission that we embark on is that to help the family erect this building so we have a place to stay when we go. They've they've got a, a whole lot of block they've collected already. Let me tell you. But the way it was told to me that every time they have money that, that they can set aside, they go and buy some more block, and they've been stacking it until they can get to the point where they can build it. They've got the foundation already uh, marked off, and the, the, base, the, the cement for the base of it is all there. They just have to erect um, the building. But, right, you know, and we have I a comment want...
1: coming out of the chat, Carol, and it's okay. just saying move forward but take something back to Ghana. Assist with the children in schools. Bring the children back and find peers and make it a cooperative effort from many directions. So this is a comment from Angela. I also have a question coming out of the chat, and was it your DNA information that informed you of the other Connections. This is coming from Family Tree Girl, and I, I do see I have another question coming online, so I will be bringing uh, the next caller online. So do you want to respond to those? The, uh,
2: what the was the question the about question? the
1: DNA again? Did, was it your DNA information that informed you of the other connections you mentioned? It wasn't just that one group. You said you've you've discovered you were oh, part of several. Oh yeah, yeah, groups. yeah.
2: It was the it was the DNA analysis from Family Tree DNA. You know, you know the, the 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 you get one set of information from Family Tree and you get another set of information from 23andMe. So I'm just glad that we have both resources, but. The family tree gives you information right down to the ethnic group level. It, it analyzes your DNA right down to it, specific. Now, of course, I guess, you know, there has to be further research with various um, uh, ethnic groups all over the continent to be able to identify some stuff even further, but thank goodness that there are people who have been willing to be tested there so that those of us on this side or anywhere in the diaspora can figure out who it is that we're connected to. And then you can find out the whys, just like I found out when the man started describing to me the migration from East Africa to West Africa. When he, when he described that, that told me everything that I, I needed sense. to understand. Yeah, it right, made right. what's on paper sense. It made sense of it.
1: Okay, well, we have one more caller. Caller, you are live. You have a question or a comment? Hello? Yes, you're live. Question or a comment?
3: Yes, I'd like to uh, make a comment to Sister Hector Harris. Uh, I'm calling from Boston. I know her very well. We used to work together, and I'm just curious to know what precipitated her search. How did it all begin from the very beginning? And my name is Bill.
2: Bill. Yes, Bill. Well, I, I got to tell you, it. you know, I'm a child of the 60s, and during the 60s um, when, you know, James Brown said that we were black and proud and then, you know, we can embrace that, and we, it was all about embracing who we are, and our our African identity. You know, with that and the fact that I wanted to know more about my own family, that was why I wanted to find my way back to Africa. I knew we were an African people. And so who are we really? Where exactly did we come from? Who's the who are the people who were born in Africa that came here? Who? And so that's it was it was the time, and my own personal curiosity. It was the '60s, and my own personal curiosity, Bill. Really, that was the foundation for kicking off the search. Okay, and you know I can
1: tell you that I, I've had several uh, shows, and I had one show called "Searching for Identity." And that's what it sounds like you certainly did. You went on your search for your identity, and it it certainly was confirmed and reinforced, not only by the documentation but by the DNA, but also you went to Africa. Well, I just want to tell everyone we're close to the end of
2: the show. Carol, any parting words before we close out tonight? I would love for people to have um, the joys that I've experienced in uncovering nuggets of information. And like I said, I celebrate every time I find something because it's a reason to celebrate. And it's also a reason to sit back and ponder about the lives of the individuals that you uncover and what, what, what were their lives like. You know, when I saw Quark's Will, I was so proud that this man who came from Africa was able to do so well. He owned a lot of property. He couldn't, he had three daughters and a son and he couldn't leave his property to his daughters because at the time women couldn't, uh, women couldn't inherit property. The property went to men, but they did inherit his um, household goods and reading his will he had a lot of stuff. In fact, I meant to tell you, um, in doing research, we uncovered a lawsuit that three selectmen in Stoughton uh, filed. They, they uh, were trying to take him to court to have the court declare him insane so that they could just take all of everything he had, his, his land, his household goods, everything. But uh, he went to court and he defended himself because the judge said that he declared that he was not insane. So they were not successful in stealing all of what he had. But I could not be more proud of that man and what he had done and how successful and prosperous he was in this country. You know, he couldn't sign the will because, you know, English was not his language. He probably knew Dutch. He probably knew German uh, because those are the people that in that part of Ghana back then, that's who they had a trade relationship with. But he signed that will with an next, and he had sense enough to get a will, uh, lay, have the whole thing laid out with what all of his' wishes, wishes were for all of his worldly possessions, and indicate who was going to get what, and protect his and protect his children's inheritance. I was very proud of that man. He was a smart man. He was an industrious man. He was a skilled man. He was a fine upstanding man in the community. And you read about that in those documents when he applied for his pension because they they had to there were people that had to swear that they knew that he was in the Revolutionary War because there were no records to indicate it. So these people wrote these documents, these letters talking about what kind of person he was. I tell you, as I read it, you know, I wasn't bawling, but tears just rolled down my face because I can only imagine what in God's name were the obstacles that this man faced, that he overcame. And how dare I complain about anything after what, just can't even imagine what it was he went through, but whatever it was, it was huge. It was humongous, but he overcame it and was a fine, upstanding man, a contributor to his community, and he fought for the independence of this nation when there were other Africans beside him who did not have their own freedom, yet they fought. They fought for somebody else's freedom when they didn't have it themselves. He had his, but others didn't. That says a whole lot. That says so much. And Carol,
1: I know you're still working on your PhD, but we want to see your book. (laughs) Okay, we want to see. Yes, we want to see your book. We want to see your research, your stories. We need this story passed on. And so I want to just thank you so much for coming on tonight to share this wonderful story and your research and your, your enthusiasm is just infectious. So thank, oh, thank you, you so goodness. much. Thank okay. You. Well, please remember, everybody, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. You can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and beyond and the AfroGenius.com Facebook pages. Also, remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday morning. So thank you so much for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This show is sponsored by your host, Bernice B.B.'s Genealogy Research and Educational Services, LLC. And my website is com. Well, I look forward to you joining me for a very special show on Monday, On the Black Loggers in Wallowa County, Oregon, with Dr. Pearl Alice Marsh. Very special show, everyone. Thank you so much for joining the show tonight. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Good night. Good night, Carol. Good
2: night.